Welcome to Realty Talk, the show that brings together the country's most authoritative and respected property experts. Follow us on all the socials and subscribe for updates and exclusive offers. Realty Talk is powered by realty.com.au, connecting buyers, sellers and agents differently. Greetings and welcome to Realty Talk, your trusted voice for all things property, which is now proudly a part of the new and expanded Property Hub, your home for property investment insights, inspiration and stories from Australia's top property experts, investors, leaders and analysts, which is all done in collaboration with Apiro Marketing and DM Media, Australia's largest independent podcast network. I'm Bushy Martin from Know How Property Finance, and we've got another great show for you this week. To get things underway, the chair of Pippa Nicola McDougall joins us again to unpack their latest investment sentiment survey with shock revelations that the national rental crisis is about to get a lot worse as investors continue to sell up and desert the market. Buyers agents can have a big impact on your property experience, but how do you distinguish a great buyers agent from just an average one? Well, to help you with this, I reveal the questions that you need to ask and the answers you need to hear before engaging one. And to close out the show, Simon Presley from Propertyology returns to reveal the surprising answer to the question, are property prices plateauing or are we just in the eye of the storm of an ongoing property boom? And before we get into it, make sure you don't miss another episode of Realty Talk by subscribing to Property Hub on your favourite podcast player, where you'll get two powerful episodes of both Realty Talk as well as the Get Invested podcast delivered in your email, in your inbox each and every week. And make sure you also sign up on the realty.com.au homepage where you'll get a free copy of my award-winning book, Get Invested, for just making the effort. We've got a stack of great insights to reveal, so let's get underway. Greetings and welcome. Now, in recent times, there's been a lot of conjecture about a media-driven crisis of confidence in property, flying from the theory that rising interest rates are causing property values to fall. But is it rate rises that are the issue or the perceptions created by media gloom and doom predictions? Well, the only way to gauge this is to tap into what property investors are actually thinking, feeling and doing. And this is exactly what the annual PIPA Investor Sentiment Survey does. And with the results of the latest PIPA or Property Investment Professionals of Australia survey just being released, the chair of PIPA, Nicola McDougall, joins us again to reveal the pulse of property perceptions and results are really startling. So welcome back to the show, Nicola. Thanks for having me again, Bushy. Good to, good to be here. Always. And um, we've got some important stuff to talk about. So, you know, sort of to set the scene, what have been the key findings from the latest PIPA annual investor sentiment survey? Yeah, the top line findings. We always, every year, it's our eighth annual survey. We always do it in August every year. This year we had 1,618 respondents. Uh, and every year we also ask specific questions on, on, you know, what investors are thinking and feeling about certain topics at this point in time. Um, because there had been a lot of conjecture over the last year or so about what was happening to rental markets and a lot of theories were being put forward, um, not a lot. And we just thought, okay, well, we have an opportunity for our survey every year. Let's just ask investors, investors right? So we asked them and we asked them what um, whether they'd sold a property in the last year or two, the last two years, why they sold those properties, where they sold them. We also asked them if about their selling intentions for the year ahead and the reasons 
why. Um, the data showed that 16.7% uh, uh, of investors around the nation had sold at least one property in the last two years. But what was absolutely mind-boggling was that 45% of investors had sold at least one property in Queensland in the last two years. And now, wow. again, I'll reference the, the time period for the survey was in August, asking them about what they had done in the previous two years. So we can safely say um, that the new Queensland land tax, for example, wasn't actually a reason why they jettisoned 45% or 45% of investors sold properties um, over that period in Queensland. Our analysis, um, which we commissioned independently, further showed um, that that potentially stripped 30% of rental properties from the Queensland market because 65% of all of the investment properties that were sold were purchased by home buyers. So that um, in, in, in a number, numerical, um, is 100, about 162,000 dwellings have potentially been uh, taken, jettisoned from the Queensland property rental property market in the last two years. That's a staggering number. That's, you know, half of invest, nearly half of investors selling a property in Queensland and a massive chunk of uh, rental properties no longer available effectively as a result of that. So, you know, it's pretty obvious, I guess, but what are the conclusions that uh, you're drawing from these results then? Yeah, well, we did ask in investors, you know, why? Why have you sold? Um, the number one reason was to, to, to make the most of rising um, market conditions over the last two years, which, you know, is not a surprise for Queensland investors. Those of us who had, have a portfolio in Queensland, myself included, um, you know, market conditions pretty beige for about a decade before, <laughs> beige, benign, whatever you want to call it, uh, for about a decade before the pandemic. So, um, I've, and then because obviously of the competing pressures on, on investors um, over the last few years in particular, when prices started to rise in 2021, um, a lot of them clearly decided that they, they would take that opportunity to um, sell at least one of their properties. Um, what was interesting was that the second, uh, the second reason why investors had sold in the past two years was to reduce their total borrowings, which probably was a reaction to what happened at the start of COVID when we all looked like we were going to have to put our mortgages on, on pause uh, for a period of time if we had investment properties. Yeah. Um, but the third, the third reason why investors had sold over the last two years was because of changing tenancy legislation, um, making it too hard or costly to continue managing. So these are the reasons why investors, you know, have sold literally hundreds of thousands of properties in the last two years. Um, we also asked about their selling intentions for the year ahead. Um, and it's quite, you know, it is, it's, it's quite, um, what's the word called? Mind boggling again, I suppose that 19% of investors have said that they actually intend to sell um, a property in the next 12 months. Now that's 19% um, nationally. Yep. Um, so if we combine the two figures, which is who have sold and who's looking at selling, we're looking at 30, 36% of investors who, you know, have either sold or are continuing to look to sell. Um, of those investors who are looking at selling in the next 12 months, we asked for their number one reason. Well, we asked for all of the reasons why they might be thinking of selling. Uh, and the number one was the new Queensland land tax. Well, there it is. It's uh, right out there in, in black and white then in that case. So 
uh, again, fairly obvious, but to spell it out, uh, what do you think are going to be the flow-on effects uh, that we're likely to see in the foreseeable future result of this then? Well, just, you know, it's really concerning. Clearly, we have, you know, um, critical undersupply of rental properties uh, in Queensland in particular, but also we've seen a big volume of, of rental properties being sold in other states and territories. Uh, what was um, interesting with the results was that the top four reasons for why investors are looking at selling over the next 12 months, obviously, again, number one was the Queensland land tax. Number two was changing tenancy legislation. Uh, number three, though, was the threat of losing control of their asset because of new or potential government legislation. And number four was the threat of rental freezes being enforced by governments. So what that pretty much shows us is that investors feel like that they've lost control um, of their asset. So um, what's likely to happen? You know, the rental crisis as we see it now is actually not even at its worst point. Uh, we're about to see more and more rental properties being removed uh, from rental markets around the country and particularly in Queensland. Um, that's going to mean, you know, so continuing to, you know, rental prices, weekly rents are going to continue to soar. Um, and unfortunately, what we're likely to see is an increase in homeless uh, and, and the number of homeless people. And I think it's important to realise with the Queensland land tax, um, whilst the government narrative seems to be about, um, you know, greedy interstate landlords, or what do they call them, interstate land speculators, um, you know, for tenants, you know, these are the people that are bearing the brunt of the rental undersupply. Um, yeah. Investors have decided that they've had enough and they, you know, have had enough of being the cash cow for all levels of government. They've had enough of you know the fact that most of us own one or two the one or two investment properties so that we might be able to be self-funded in retirement um, they feel like they've lost control of their asset um, they're obviously you know um, more and more financial imposts are put on them uh, by, all, by all levels of government and they are selling and they're selling in record numbers and the people that are going to be the most negatively impacted by this are tenants and governments don't seem to, um, you know, greedy landlords are low-hanging fruit, right? That we always get banged over the head. But yeah. um, at the end of the day, it is going to be the tenants that pay the highest price. Yeah, it's uh, very scary in terms of where it's heading. Uh, so what can and needs to be done about it then, Nicola? I mean, as I think I mentioned with you before, Bushy, you know, there needs to be more recognition of the vital role that investors play, uh, not only in the economy, but in, in society. Um, you know, there is always around about 30% of, of, of people that are renting um, over history for a variety of reasons. Um, and because governments have stopped funding uh, social and affordable housing for decades now, the heavy lifting has been on private landlords for a long time. Um, and it's clear that, you know, not just from our survey results, but obviously what we've been seeing on the ground um, is that investors don't want to play that role. They, they should never have played that role anyway in regards to providing, you know, social housing. Um, I just think that there needs to be more recognition of investors, uh, even some incentives to get more investors into the market um, because clearly they've left in droves and I would imagine that the huge volume of them have no intention of re-entering the market. Um, but when we're seeing hundreds of thousands of rental properties around the country no longer being available for tenants to lease, I mean, you know, new, 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 new supply of rental properties 
is not going to materialize overnight. It's even not, it's not going to materialize in a year, not even in a couple of years. Um, I saw some great um, analysis this morning, uh, which said this is eight years in the making where we're at today. Yeah. Um, it started in 2014 and, and there's just been a confluence of factors which has added more and more pressure and I guess added more and more reasons for investors to leave the market. Um, so if it's taken eight years to get here, how long do you think it's going to take for you know that to change? I, I don't even want to think about that when we're already seeing you know such extreme uh, pressure on rental markets around the country. Yeah, very scary. And we're about to tip another 195 odd thousand migrants into the mix uh, moving forward. That's only going to exacerbate that situation even further. So some pretty, pretty scary times ahead. But uh, I really want to thank you for, for revealing these quite startling and far reaching results, Nicola. And thanks again for joining us on the show today. Thanks, Pushy. Anytime. Thanks, Nicola. Well, it's obvious that perception is reality and the current and ongoing investor retreat from the property market as a result of continual restrictive government measures that treat investors like ATMs. Just like the Queensland's latest interstate investor land grab, it's only going to seriously reduce available properties for rent further and consequently worsen the rental crisis, drive rental payments further through the roof and add to the growing army of the homeless. When are governments going to stop treating mum and dad landlords like villains and start incentivising them to maintain their properties and purchase new ones to reduce our growing housing supply crisis. Stay tuned for more here on Realty Talk. Property depreciation is the natural wear and tear of a building and its assets. Property investors can claim depreciation as a tax deduction each financial year. Depreciation is a non-cash deduction. This means you don't need to spend any money in order to claim it. On average, BMT tax depreciation find residential investors almost $9,000 in first full financial year deductions. Call BMT on 1300-728-726 today for an obligation-free quote. Greetings and welcome. Now, for some time we've been espousing the merits of engaging a buyer's agent to assist you in levelling the playing field to secure a superior performing property on better terms. But like everything, I'm not just suggesting you engage any old buyer's agent because like any relatively new and growing profession, there's a massive chasm between the average buyer's agent and a really good one because unfortunately there's been a swag of inexperienced and ill-prepared opportunists that have moved into the industry as there's very low barriers to entry. And they're giving the industry a bad name and making it harder for the few select and proven buyers agents to demonstrate their value. And don't be fooled by high profile buyers agents companies who spend a poultice on advertising and marketing that promise the earth in terms of access to so-called off-market properties at under market prices. Because unfortunately, once you've signed up and handed over your cash, behind the smoke and mirrors, they overpromise, underdeliver, and often pressure you to buy a property that doesn't actually optimize your opportunity or satisfy your strategy because they just need to get paid. In our experience, we're finding that the majority of buyers agents tend to operate at either end of a spectrum from totally remote des desktop research and no boots on the ground with no local knowledge at one end or the opposite, where they know the ins and outs of their local area, but have very little quantified leading indicator, macro, micro, and micro research to support their findings. The reality is that you need to engage a buyer's agents that, that can deliver on both. 
and is committed to finding the best property to suit your needs, not just whatever's available. So how can you separate the sheep from the goats when it comes to bias agents? By asking the right questions and then knowing what the answers mean. But what are the right questions to ask? Well, this is how I'm going to help you today with a host of questions that will give you the good oil so you're engaging a buyer's agent that's not only going to source, negotiate and secure a great property that ticks all the boxes of your strategy, but they're also aligned with your values. The questions are the ones that we quiz prospective buyer's agents on before we go any further with them. So let's run through them. Firstly, tell us about your background and how this has helped you as a buyer's agent. Now here you're looking for evidence of their understanding and experience, along with their passion and performance. Secondly, how long have you been a buyer's agent? And who are your buyer's agent's mentors? Now this question is about their level of experience and expertise, along with their understanding of how a good buyer's agent operates. If they've only been operating for a short period of time without much expert guidance, then you need to question their ability to do a good job. Thirdly, what are your personal values and how do you demonstrate them? This is about understanding what's truly important to them and whether this aligns with what's important to you to ensure that fundamentally you're on the same page and operate and respond in a similar way. Number four, do you own any property, either home and or investment yourself? And can you share an outline of your personal property investment strategy and your property portfolio? This question is about understanding if they actually walk their talk. Past personal property investment experience is an essential undertaking for those buyers agents that are fulfilling investment briefs. If they don't have skin in the game and haven't done what they're looking for you to do, then you need to question whether they're a good fit. It's a matter of, if it's a matter of do what I say, not as I do, then run. Question number five, what qualifications have you undertaken to become a buyers agent? Here, you're looking for a reputable qualification, not a 10-second course from a coupon in a cornflakes packet. If they own their buyer's agency, they're going to need to have a full real estate agent's license, both for themselves, plus an agency license for the company they operate under. So ask to see copies of this. A ground-up training system partnering experienced buyer's agents with assistant buyer's agents in training or apprenticeship-style pathways are actually preferred. Ideally, apprenticeships with REBA accredited buyers, agents and advocates who have mentored them in the early years is much recommended. Now, state-based real estate institutes and TAFE or private institutions also run training courses, but many of the short courses teach enough to be dangerous. So be aware of online non-accredited courses. If you're unsure, contact REBA, which is the Real Estate Buyers Agents Association of Australia. Question number six. Are you a fully licensed buyer's agent? And if they are, ask for a copy. If they're not, get nervous. Number seven, are you a member of REBA, which is the Real Estate Buyer's Agents Association of Australia, and or PIPA, which is the Property Investment Professionals of Australia? And if you are, do you uphold their standards of contact? If the buyer's agent's not a member of either, then I'd question their validity. Question eight. Are you licensed as an exclusive buyer's agent or does your current license permit property sales as well? Now, if a buyer's agent or buyer's agent company also sells property, then this is a very clear conflict of interest and will likely compromise the quality of services provided and the outcome that you're likely to achieve. 
So you need to be engaging dedicated independent buyers agents who only buy property and, and aren't affiliated with selling agents or others in the industry. Number nine, do you hold professional indemnity insurance? Now this is critical if something goes wrong and the buyer's agent fails in their duty of care because without professional indemnity insurance, you're gonna be left high and dry and out of pocket. So make sure you get to see their PI insurance policy certificate of currency. Number 10, do you have conflict of interest policies? And how will I know you're going to act in my best interest? Now, everyone's obviously gonna say they do, but get them to show you their actual policies as evidence of their commitment. Number 11, what differentiates a great buyer's agent from just an average one? Now, a great buyer's agent relies on in-depth quantifiable research to identify locations. They have an extensive network and good relationships with sales agents to source off-market, pre-market and non-market properties. They're able to negotiate favorable terms and they have access to a team of independent building inspectors, property managers, quality surveyors and conveyances to guide and manage the entire process through the settlement and beyond. Question 12, what areas and or property types do you specialize in? Now here you're looking for evidence that they have good experience securing the type of property you're looking for versus a buyer's agent who says they do everything because there's a big difference in the approach required between types of properties and locations. Question 13, how will you add value to our property purchase? Now listen here for how they're going to do this and then keep them accountable for delivering on this if you actually engage them. Now it needs to go beyond the platitudes of just saving you time, money and headaches. You're looking for superior networks of contacts, sourcing and negotiating skills, and the ability to guide and coordinate the entire property process. Question 14, what's your approach to searching, sourcing, selecting, and negotiating a property? Get them to walk you through their typical process from end to end with real examples of what they've done recently. Question 15, what growth drivers and leading indicators do you use to identify high potential growth properties? Now here you're looking for forward-looking data, not rear-view mirror history. Think infrastructure, industry employment, and income demographics. Question 16, where do you source properties? Here you're looking for evidence and examples of a strong network of contacts in your preferred area across selling agents, property managers, and others who are able to identify good off-market, pre-market, and on-market property opportunities. Question 17, what process do you go through prior to recommending a property to a client? Now, this is a subtle way to identify the level of due diligence and the checks and balances against your strategy and your preferences that are instituted from the macro right down to the micro level, which then flows into the next couple of questions, which is 18, how do you combine desktop data with local knowledge to identify the best property opportunities? Now, this is about finding a balance of quantifiable data combined with intimate local knowledge to embed a form property solutions. For example, an area and a property can look great on your laptop and on paper, but local knowledge may identify that the area has a bad stigma or reputation and locals avoid it like the plague. Next, we go straight for the jugular by asking, what's your due diligence process? Do you have one? Is it in-house or outsourced? What's included and who pays? The answers here are critical to ensuring that the property that has been assessed against all the key criteria at the macro, micro, and micro levels with quantifiable leading indicator data, not just historic data, 
combined with local independent professional insights on the area and the property. As a minimum, a good buyer's agent will be providing you with a full report that addresses all of the good, bad and ugly aspects of the area and the property to allow you to make fully informed decisions. For example, for growth properties, at the very least, you're looking for evidence of new committed infrastructure, new and strong industry and employment diversification, and strong and growing income demographics under what I like to call the three eyes of growth, infrastructure, industry, and incomes. Question 20, what negotiation approach do you adopt to achieve the best property outcome for your clients? Now, this is also critical as it's what and under what terms that you buy a property that actually establishes your success. So you're looking for detailed examples of how they've successfully negotiated property purchases to ensure your offer stands out from others without paying a premium for it, particularly in hotly contested situations. You also need to understand how they negotiate favorable terms for off-market properties where there may not be any other competition. And do they include due diligence clauses and what else do they look at other than price to successfully secure a property on your behalf? Question 21, how do you make a recommendation on price? Now here you're looking at how they establish a reasonable market value for the property. Do they just use CoreLogic data, comparable sales? Because they need to be able to demonstrate what's the right price to pay for the property. And remember, you're not just looking for an average property at a bargain price, but a great property at the right price because it's always about quality and value at the end of the day. Question 22, how often do you recommend your clients not buy a property? Now, make sure they give you actual examples of when they've done this, because you're looking for confidence that they're finding you the best property, not just the best available property. Question 23, how many off-market silent listings have you secured in the last two years? Now, this is not a deal breaker as you're not just engaging a buyer's agent to find properties that you can't. And there's a fair bit of smoke and mirrors around this, but knowing that they have a network of contacts that make them aware of off-market opportunities may identify good properties ahead of the pack, but you need to ensure that they're going to still negotiate a fair price on them. Question 24, if I find a property myself, how do you treat this? Now, a good buyer's agent will still get you to pay their fees for the property as they still need to put the property through their full detailed due diligence process and then negotiate the purchase under favourable terms. Question 25, how long has your process taken from initiation to purchase for your last five clients? Now, this will vary depending on location, property type and the prevailing market conditions, but it's not unusual for the process to take anywhere between three to four months or more from commencement through to sealing the deal. Question 26, what sets you apart from other buyers agents and what do you do differently? And why would we engage you instead of another buyers agent? Here you're looking for evidence and examples of superior and customized approaches to researching, selecting, negotiating and securing the property through the combination of leading indicator data combined with strong networks of relationships with independent professionals with intimate local knowledge. 27, what previous purchases have you made and what experience do you have in our preferred location and or price range? Here, the buyer's agent needs to provide concrete and recent examples of successful property purchases in your location with your property type and your price. 28, how extensive is your network of related property contacts? 
Now, successful property is a game of relationships. So you're looking for evidence of a strong network of local selling agents, property managers, building inspectors, conveyances, and finance brokers. 29, what's your track record of securing high growth properties? Now, make sure they can actually evidence actual properties with buy prices and dates against their current values, and then get details on annual growth rates and the rental yields. Question 30, can you share examples of testimonials of properties that you've sourced and secured that have performed above the average? That's fairly self-evident. Question 31, can we talk to some of your previous clients, preferably with a similar brief? If they can't, run. If they can, make sure you talk to three or more of them to make sure that you're looking at the good, bad and ugly on the buyer's agent performance. 32, can we talk to some of your current client, clients? clients? <laughs> this will confirm their actual current performance. 33, are there any industry professionals who will vouch for your credibility? We're talking here about property managers, mortgage brokers and conveyances and some selling agents because these are gonna be useful to talk to in order to get second opinions on their prowess. 34, what's your policy for handling competing or overlapping client briefs? Now, this is also important because if they have two clients looking for the same type of property in the same area, which client's going to get preference? Is it first in best rest or how else do they manage this? And question number 35, finally, we get around to their fees and costs because it's more about their values alignment and their value added than price that's important. So you need to ask, how do you get paid? And do you receive or pay any financial rewards to or from selling agents, property managers, accountants, mortgage brokers, or other allied property professionals? A true independent buyer's agent doesn't take commissions from anyone and doesn't take uh, kickbacks or, or fees in brown paper bags. Question 36, how's your pricing structured? Is it a percentage, a fixed fee, or other? Now, I suggest you try and agree a fixed fee regardless of property value because a percentage of the purchase price, normally around 15 to 3%, subconsciously means that the buyer's agent has no incentive to negotiate hard on the purchase price because the higher you pay, the more they get paid. Now, most reputable buyer's agents will get you to pay an initial commitment deposit of around 3000 with the remainder paid on successful settlement of the property so that they're actually paid on performance. 37, what happens if you can't source or secure an above average property to satisfy my brief that we're happy with in a reasonable time frame? Now, if the buyer's agent is unable to successfully identify and secure a property over three to four months or more, will they refund your deposit monies paid? And finally, question 38, what happens if our expectations are unreasonable? Here, you're looking for a buyer's agent that is happy to have the tough conversations in the sense that if a property brief is unachievable or your expectations around timing, quality and cost are unreasonable, will they push back to qualify expectations to ensure that everyone's on the same page from the get-go? And there you have it. If you have the fortitude and confidence to ask these questions and then really listen to the answers in terms of what's said and what's not said, then you're in a much better position to make a truly informed decision on engaging a great independent buyer's agent professional that you respect and enjoy working with to achieve superior property performance results. And remember that the only dumb question is the question that you don't ask. So don't be afraid to ask anything and keep asking if you don't understand the answer and you're not clear on the response. 
And if you'd like a copy of all of these questions, just email me on bushy at knowhowproperty.com.au and we'll reply email with a copy of our template. That's more food for thought. Stay with us for more here on Realty Talk. Property deductions can save you thousands of dollars each year. To make sure you maximise deductions, you need to work with the most experienced quantity surveyor in the country. BMT Tax Depreciation is the leading specialist in the industry. They've completed over 700,000 tax deduction schedules for residential investment and commercial properties Australia-wide. BMT guarantee to find double your fee in the first full financial year deductions. Call BMT on 1300 728 726 today for an obligation-free quote. Hi and welcome. Now, you'd have to be deaf, dumb and blind not to be aware of the gloom and doom being peddled by nightly news presenters and hysterical headlines in relation to the so-called national downturn and the pending property bust. But if you've been involved in property for long enough, you'll know that there isn't a year that passes when someone's not grabbing headlines with doomsday property predictions Yet strangely, they never eventuate. So to help you with a proper perspective on the future drivers of Australia's next property broom, we're joined by leading property analyst and head of research at Propertyology, Simon Presley, who's got a stellar record of swimming against the tide of popular opinion to correctly predict future property movements. So welcome back to the show, Simon. Hello, my friend. Good to be talking about something positive, isn't it? It certainly is, mate. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, so, you know, let's kick straight into it. So, you know, despite this this constant uh, media messages of gloom and doom, what's really happening with property conditions around the country and more importantly, why? Yeah, it's, and it's nowhere. It's not doom and gloom at all. Um, the, the, the problem is now and always, Bushy, and it's, it, if anyone who's got an interest in real estate, always remember this key thing. About 95% of, of Australia's workforce in the media space live and work in one of two cities, Sydney or Melbourne. And because they are our two biggest cities, whatever's happening with the property market of those two cities tends to get reported as the national theme. Yeah. Sydney and Melbourne had a boom 2012 to 2015. It was reported as if all of Australia was booming, but only two cities were. Those same two cities had a downturn in 2017 to 2019. The rest of Australia was growing. It was reported like Australian property markets were crashing. And now Sydney and Melbourne are by no means suffering, but they are they have been going backwards um, since the, since the start of this calendar year, and it's been reported as if property values all over Australia. But it's even the core logics of the world have just become just as guilty with the negative reporting. Now, not only does the official data support this, but on the ground buying properties in locations all over Australia for our investors, mate, prices are rising. The rates of growth have definitely eased off, but. It doesn't take rocket science to figure out that you can't keep growing at 20 and 30% per year. Um, but there are many locations in Australia that are today growing at a sort of between 5 and 15% pace. Now, 5% is not boom, 8% is boom. 8% yeah. per year is a boom. So a yeah. lot, of, lot of strength out there. Um, Sydney and Melbourne, we said since day one of COVID, if there was ever going to be individual markets adversely affected by COVID, it would be our two biggest and two most congested cities. So what's actually happening in Sydney and Melbourne is what, what we forecast this time two and a half years ago, um, but not crashing at all. Yeah, 100% agree. And I, I think the biggest issue for, for me, Simon, is when uh, there's this constant reference to property markets that don't exist, and there's a total reliance on medium house prices. And as you and I know, 
medians, uh, there's a, the devil's in the detail. Yeah. Medians don't really tell you much at all and can be quite misleading in that context. So, so, uh, but I, I digress a little bit. Uh, I'd like to get your read on what's likely to happen with property conditions then uh, in the years ahead, as you see it. Yeah, I see two, two um, causes of a boom. Uh, one, the boom that we remember that, you know, let's loosely say ended late last year, didn't actually end. Yeah. Did not, I'll say that again, did not actually end. Yeah. Large parts of Australia are still performing strongly. It's just don't rely on the media to re report that to you. What we've got at the moment, um, so the dominant thing influencing property markets right now is interest rates. Yeah. Interest rates are one of dozens of factors and interest rates are always there, right? But it's, but it's dominant, it has a dominant influence at the, at the moment, but it has an emotional influence. It's not that, so the headlines that everyone's reading about mortgage stress and interest rates, well, they'll go up today probably as we're recording this on, on uh, first Tuesday of the month, right? So let's have a go up again today. So the headlines will be, you know, the average mortgage payment has gone up by a hundred bucks a week or whatever it is, right? 99.9% .9 of people with a mortgage can comfortably afford these interest rate rises. There will be no en masse for sales. This is an emotional effect. So it affects confidence. Yes, it's a sentiment that the media are driving that's creating the, 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 the rabbit in the headlights approach. Yeah. yeah. And because, so stereotypically in rising interest rate cycles, they usually go up by increments of 0.25. And they usually go up one month and then you know, they stay flat for another few months and then they go up again, right? Well, we haven't had that. So this current cycle is something that we've never seen before. They've been going up at increments of 0.5 and they've been going up every month. So that, that affects the psyche. Plus, we live in a digital world where every five minutes people pick up one of these and they read the negativity. So it's this, I see this as just placing a pause on buyer activity. It's not a financial fracture. It's, it doesn't cut at the fundamentals of property markets. It affects the feelings of buyer behaviour. Before too long, and I don't reckon we're this far away at all, before too long, the RBA will get comfortable with where inflation's at. I think it'll be in the very early part of next year, inside six months, all right? When that happens, the first Tuesday of every month, the RBA will continue to meet and the news report will be RBA kept rates on hold. Yeah, spot on. 100%. Once we get two or three months of that, the psyche will accept, okay, the RBA have found our new normal. Then they'll gaze at the navel and go, well, what, what the bloody hell was I worried about? I've got more equity in my home than I ever imagined. I've still got all this money in my offset account. I've got the most stable job I've ever had. I've got, we've got 500,000 jobs advertised in this country today that we can't fill. My job's safe. My wages are going up. I need to get on with my life. So with the exception of Sydney, Melbourne and a few others, when their feelings sort themselves out and we see an increase in buyer activity, they will be met with very short supply of dwellings for sale. The pressure's still there, mate. Yeah. So number one cause of the next boom is the strong national economy and the strongest ever household finances. We have just pressed the pause button until people sort their feelings out. The yeah. second boom, this will surprise people, I suspect. Yeah. Unless you've been living under a rock, people everywhere in Australia should realise we have a national rental crisis. You and I spoke about that recently. Yeah. Caused by federal, state and local governments. Yeah. Take this to the bank. Those same people 
in high places who have caused this rental crisis will cause a property boom. Yeah, it's one one and the same thing, really. It's uh, the, the rental vacancy rates are generally a, a, a forward leading indicator of what's about to happen with property prices. So we've well, got it just, right there in front of us, haven't we? Not just that, mate. Rental supply, this is an official government statistic, ABS. Yeah. 91% of Australia's 3.3 million properties that make up our national rental pool are owned by the Bushies and Simons and the everyday Aussie property investor. So... We literally have already tens of thousands of people living in makeshift accommodation. The government themselves have just said, we're now bringing in an extra 200,000 people per year. 99% of overseas migrants each and every year require rental accommodation. They don't go and buy their own home, yep. right? So within a matter of six months, mate, we're gonna have horrible stories on the news every day of hundreds of thousands of people living in makeshift accommodation. So can we take it as a given that before too long, the governments are going to have to pull their head out of the sand and say, fuck, we're going to have to fix this up. What are we going to do? So let, let's step through the options for them. Yeah. Option number one, they find hundreds of billions of dollars under a rock and they go and build all these extra rental properties and say to tenants, there you go, right? That's option number one, right? Option yeah. number two, the house fairy falls out of the clouds and, and taps all these trees and turns them into houses, houses, right? So then we've got all these so fixed, right? Fixed. Option number three, all these um, people who hate property investors, who want to be homeowners, they suddenly gather all their deposits and they suddenly get their loans all approved and on mass they go and become first home buyers, all right? Yeah. That's the option. That's the third option. Option number five, governments themselves fund extra rental accommodation. I'll give you a statistic that possibly I'm the only person who's aware of. Yeah. Governments, state and federal combined in this country own 290,000 rental properties. That's it, out of 3.3 million. Yeah, yeah. That same figure 30 years ago was 100,000 more. Yeah. Secretly, state and federal governments, predominantly state governments, have been selling off rental properties for the last yeah. 30 years. So are governments, option number five, are governments likely at a time when they've got bulging budgets and all these debts to pay back, are they going to go and fund all these dwellings that we need because we've got, literally got hundreds of thousands of people who require rental accommodation? So no. So what's left, mate? If we are seriously going to fix this problem, what's left? Where's it going to come from? It's the same people. Incentivising mums and dads like like uh, Simon and Bushy to uh, get out there and uh, increase the rental stock, mate. That's a and they will have to do it because at the end of the day, what is property? <laughs> so, so you and I, we're investing in a future, but what is it? It's a roof over people's heads. It's an essential commodity, my friend. Yeah. This, I guarantee you, this boom will come. We're, it's probably only twelve months away because yeah. they will have no choice. It's just a matter of. How much pain can they stand? Totally how, much, how much longer do they want this to go on? Yeah. And then when they realise we must fix it and they step through the options, I'll just step through for everybody else. Unless there's another option people can think of, they'll realise there is only one option. Yeah. And they are the same people who funded the existing 91%. Yeah. So they'll have to roll out the red carpet to those people. I'll have no choice. Yeah. And when they do, they trigger demand. They trigger an increase in buyer activity. Increase in buyer activity equals price boom.
2023 to 2024, mark my words, mate, an investor-driven boom caused by the same dickheads who caused the rental crisis. <laughs> I love it. And, and the, the other thing that slides in there as, as a, 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 an anti-driver or a, a drag, as you would call it, is, is the current media sentiment. So once we are numb to the point where uh, the hysterical headlines don't have any further impact and or there's some other uh, crisis that the media starts to focus on, all of that sentiment's going to go away. We'll get back to reality on property and and look out. Now, I, I think you've nailed it. So, so given that context and and given the uh, tidal wave that's about to occur, uh, what sort of locations and property types do you think are likely to be, be the beneficiaries of the ongoing boom then? Well, we've got a, a formula that we trust because it's been very good to us. So it's not picked by uh, emotion and sentiment and bias because they're all subjective, right? So we follow a combination of strong local economic conditions. So not Australia's economy, not New South Wales economy, individual townships yep. where they've got strong job, job creation initiatives. That's where housing demand comes from. Yep. Um, one of the things with COVID is an increased um, influence from lifestyle components. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the escape, the uh, congested apartment or something like that. But they're still subjective. You know, what Bushy can, constitutes as a, as a good lifestyle is different to what Simon wants. Um, but lot, but, um, and housing supply. You know, people need to under... Rental supply is tight everywhere, so that's a no-brainer. That's easy for anyone to pick. Yeah. But people need to understand resale supply. So how many, you know, dwellings are on the market for sale now and is that higher or normal than, um, the, the, higher or lower than normal? Avoid Sydney and Melbourne. They've got the weakest fundamentals. But large parts of Australia still have good fundamentals. Um, and don't underestimate the importance of new construction supply. You have a town or city that might appear to be undersupplied now, but if you've got an overstimulated construction sector, within a couple of years, you can have a significant downturn. And that's what caused Sydney and Melbourne's downturn 2017 to 2019. So um, learn about economics at an individual town or city level. Yeah, it's, it's spot on, mate. Uh, I mean, it's not rocket science, but uh, people just don't seem to get it. And you've shed a, a really uh, proper perspective on, on the situation as it stands, mate. So I really want to thank you for these insights and thanks again for joining us on the show today. My pleasure. Thanks, Bushy. Thanks, Simon. Well, there you have it. The complex dynamics of property supply, demand and sentiment, along with all of the associated Rubik's Cube combinations of lifting and dragging drivers, yet again points to long-term property price growth. So if you want to get ahead of the pack and take advantage of the current window of opportunity to secure good quality properties now, while the spook majority sit on the sidelines, reach out to Simon and his team at propertyology.com.au now, because it's never about when to buy property, but it's always about where. Stay with us for more here on Australia's most popular property show, Realty Talk. Now, before I leave you, the Pippa Investor Sentiment Survey makes it crystal clear that investors are sick and tired of being the punching bag for policymakers who mistakenly think that we're an endless supply of tax revenue for their coffers. And they're doing this by voting with their feet and selling properties that have seen 270,000 rentals disappearing in the last two years, that's contributing to the ongoing rental crisis that's only going to get worse. So it's time for governments at all levels to flip their thinking and start encouraging and incentivizing everyday mum and dad investors to both maintain their investment properties and buy new ones before it's too late. And the first step with this is for the Queensland government to repeal its poorly conceived land tax changes 
but are likely to increase costs by 300 to 400%. So this legislation needs to be repealed. And the only way to make this happen is to add your name and voice to the petition by taking a minute to jump on Google search and typing in petition to reverse interstate properties land tax, then just click on the change.org link. And in less than a minute, you've added your voice to the cause. And if you're as keen as I am to see this land tax increase reversed, then send a message directly to the Queensland Treasurer, Cameron Dick, by going to cabinet.qld.gov.au forward slash ministers portfolios forward slash Cameron Dick and let him know that you're one of tens of thousands who believes that the investor prejudice land tax is bad for Queensland. And that's a wrap for this week's show. Another big thanks to our guests, Nicola McDougall and Simon Presley. And to make sure that you don't miss another episode of your trusted voice for all things property, subscribe to Property Hub on your favourite podcast player, where you'll also enjoy the Get Invested podcast delivered to you each and every week. And make sure you sign up on the realty.com.au homepage to get a free copy of my award-winning book, Get Invested. And while you're there, make sure you check out one of Australia's most extensive range of properties for sale from over 7,000 agents nationally, where you'll even find properties that aren't listed anywhere else. Thanks again to realty.com.au, BMT Tax Depreciation, Apiro Marketing and DM Media for their ongoing support. I'm Bushy Martin from Know How Property Finance. Remember to always get invested and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Miss something in this week's show or want to catch up on past shows? Do it anytime at realty.com.au where we connect buyers, sellers and agents differently. 